Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning in person and online on this beautiful Sunday of the last weekend of summer. How are we feeling about that? <laughs> Good? Yeah? Boo! Oh no. I, for one, am excited for the fall because there are good things in store. Do you believe that? Yes. Amen. Again, I'd just like to acknowledge, just right from the start here, what a gift this day is, what a gift this space is, what a gift um, the music we have to help us worship, what a gift that is. What a gift we have in this dedicated time to opening up the Word of God together and studying it and hearing from it. It's a gift, an absolute gift, and we never want to take that for granted, do we? No, no. So let's just pray right at the start. God, we thank you for the gift of this day, the gift of this time, the gift of this space the gift of worship, the gift of your word. God, the gift of church. We give you thanks. We give you thanks. Amen. Now, I just want to say right off the start here that we are not too busy to pray with our children. <laughs> And so if you were feeling a little, you know, upset by that, I release you from that. You can let that go. We are never too busy to pray with our children. I pray with my girls every single <laughs> night. Every night. And I love that time that I spend with them in prayer. And so if you've been thinking about Julia's announcement, um, I just want to encourage you to give that some thoughtful consideration. Just think about just the impact and the blessing that it is to come together and pray for one of our youth here. I know from the time that I spend with my girls in prayer, I, I view it as, you know, me teaching and guiding them, but really I receive so much from them in those moments. They teach me a lot. They teach me a lot, and I always come away from those times together just being so blessed and so fulfilled. So please consider the opportunity to pray with some of our youth here. So we are in Psalm 139 this morning. Thank you, Carla, for reading that for us. That was the Passion Translation. So if you've never heard that before, that was the translation she was reading from. It's really quite beautiful. Now, for some of you, this is a familiar psalm. You would have read it numerous times as you've studied the word, or maybe you've heard it um, often. And I think we often hear this psalm at, like, a baby dedication or christening or birth announcement, right? Yes? Yeah? Yeah? <laughs> So this was a gift I was given when Hallie was born 12 years ago. <laughs> it's a baby quilt. Has her name and birth date on it. Yeah, you can cheer for that. There's a lot of hard work went into this, this quilt. <laughs> but in the top left-hand corner, 
is etched, embroidered. <laughs> it's probably the right terminology. Psalm 139, 13, and 14. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And so I think, you know, when a baby is born, we can't help but see the miraculous of life, right? Parents, grandparents, we hold a new baby and we're just in awe of the life of what God has created. And it's just so undeniable. And so the scripture rings true to that. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, it's not just a meaningful passage of scripture um, at birth. It's meaningful for every single season of life. <laughs> meaningful from beginning to end. Absolutely meaningful from beginning to end. What I love about this psalm is how personal it is. Much of the Old Testament is about this relationship between God and Israel, right? They are his chosen people. Well, this psalm is an exception to that, as it's just so very individual and personal. The psalmist reflects on his own experience of God's close presence and God's hand on his own individual life. And so we see this personal relationship between God with his created one. The creator knows his creation, and the creation knows the creator. This is about knowing God and being known by him. So here's an illustration that I hope will help us in unpacking this psalm together. I am an absolute sucker for scrolling through the newsfeed on my phone. Do you do that? <laughs> yes? Now, I hate that I do this because lots of times I, I don't even want to fill my mind with that stuff, right? It's upsetting. It's, it's disturbing, and it's not helpful, really, but I am, for some reason, I just have to scroll through and see what the news the news is and now my news app I guess tracks you know my interests and suggests stories for me that are in line with things that I'm particularly interested in which for me are things like health and wellness and food and nutrition and recipes parenting Dogs, I love a good dog rescue story. <laughs> um, or running, those are the kinds of things I like to read about. Occasionally, I will click on things that have to do with the royals <laughs> or, or celebrities, especially when, especially when it's a celebrity rescuing a dog <laughs> or a celebrity suggesting a recipe like Jennifer Aniston's salad. You know, this is the one that will give you that natural glow if you eat it every single day. You laugh because you know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's actually a very good salad. It's a very good salad. But that's the kind of stuff I like to read about. Um, <clears throat> because I end up reading these kinds of stories, I end up with these other suggestions 
you know, of celebrities on my news feeds. And I can't even believe the headlines that are newsworthy um, around all this. They, they're just put out there like we need to find out and know absolutely everything we can about these people. We're encouraged to read all the news articles, buy the magazines, follow them online, and find out and know everything we possibly can. Now hear me out. Because knowing everything we can about a celebrity is really a one-way street, right? It's a one-way street. No matter how much we know about them, we will never be known by them. The knowing is not reciprocated. See where I'm going with this? <laughs> Some of us here today may think the same way about God. We seek God like he's a celebrity. He's the sovereign Lord, creator of the universe. I can learn everything I can about him. I can read the Bible multiple times. I can study theology even. But he's so up there. So how can he possibly know me down here? And why, like, why would he even care? Why would he care? So being personally known by God may sound far-fetched to you, or maybe you know this to be true, you've, you've heard it, you've learned it from the word, but you haven't fully thought about it or really experienced it as personally meaningful and true. When we think of God, we often think of characteristics like great and powerful, Lord and King of the universe, creator, holy, righteous, and so on. And all of this is true. And he is deeply personal. He is deeply personal. And that characteristic is not on the bottom of the list. It goes right along with the others. He is creator of the universe and he is all-knowing. He knows his creation. We are his creation. He knows us. He knows us. At our very core, we all want to know others and be known by them. That is God's way and God's design. It's what relationship is all about seeking and being sought, knowing and being known, accepting and being accepted, loving and being loved, pouring into someone else and having someone else pour into you. The message of Scripture is that God calls us into relationship with him. It started with the Israelites, his chosen people, and it expands to us today. Now, to be in a relationship with God is, is like a human relationship in the sense that it is two-way. It's two-way. It's knowing and being known. Not one way, like with the celebrities. What we learn from the Word, and from this psalm in particular today, is that God is personally acquainted with every detail of his creation, and that includes us. Jesus says to us in Matthew 10, 
Not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. God knows us, he knows you, and he invites all of us to know him in return. So the first section of this psalm captures that all-knowing characteristic of God. We call this omniscient. And while we might be tempted to just generalize that and say, okay, well, God knows everything, the psalmist gives us the perspective of what it is to be seen and fully known by God. Verse 1, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. Examined my heart and know everything about me. Now, the fact that God has examined us And knows us is to be taken as positive and good, not weird or creepy. Remember, he is our loving creator. He is our good father. We just sang those words together. And so when the psalmist says here, you know when I sit and when I rise, you know my thoughts. When I travel and when I rest, you know what I'm going to say even before I say it. You go before me and follow me. When the psalmist says this, he is reflecting on how God knows where we are and what we are up to. In other words, we haven't escaped the notice of God. We haven't been forgotten by him. He sees us when no one else does. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes God the Father as your Father who sees what is done in secret. In other words, he sees all. He sees our integrity or lack of integrity. God sees and God knows our thoughts. He sees our actions and he knows our intentions. He knows our motives. And that's a challenge for us to honor God in public and private. God sees, he knows our future, he knows where we're going, he knows where we're headed, he knows where and what will become of us. And again, this is meant to be comforting because he is good and he has good plans for us. So no matter what our present situation may be, we know with God there is always hope There is always redemption to be experienced personally now and in our future with him. The very last line of this psalm, the psalmist says, lead me in the everlasting way. That's the future God wants for all of us. That's what he wants to become of all of us. And it's a leading that is experienced now personally in the present and into the future. And if we think back to our last Wednesday in the Word, what Jacob pointed out to us in asking, what is eternal life or everlasting life? Do you remember what that was? Was knowing God. Knowing God. It's relationship with God. So God sees, he knows And protects. Verse 5 says, You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. This is protective 
and helpful. Again, God's knowledge of us is for our good. Some translations say, you have enclosed me behind and before. Enclosed means to strengthen and, and surround like a wall. God doesn't just watch what's happening with us. He places his hand on us to protect and defend us. God often accomplishes this through his spirit. We get a feeling when we're in a situation that we should leave or that we should speak up or whatever. Maybe you have your own examples of God's protection over your life. In any case, when we choose to live under God's provision, we can rest knowing his protective hand. His protective hand is on us. In the next few verses, the psalmist speaks about God's abiding presence. God knows us because he is near us. He knows us because he is near us. Again, think about a human relationship. And think in particular about a long-distance relationship. It's a little more difficult to maintain these relationships because the distance creates barriers, right? Yes? Yeah, it's not as easy as, you know, getting together with your neighbor or someone who lives in your house when they live far away. Our relationship with God is not long distance. God doesn't see us because he's looking down at us through a monster telescope. That's not how God works. He sees us because he is near us. He is near us. The psalmist writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? You are in the heavens and you are in the depths. God is present everywhere in his creation. The psalmist essentially puts this so simply. Wherever I go, you are there. Wherever I go, you are there. Again, this is for are good. And so wherever we go, God is there. Why is he there? Because he loves us. He cares for us. And he's there with the purpose to lead us. He's there with the purpose to lead us. He's here with us now as we worship and look at his word together with the purpose to lead us. And no matter where we are, Verse 10 says, even there, even there, your hand will lead me, and your right hand will take hold of me. Even when we're at our worst, friends. Even when we're just in the most horriblest, terriblest mood. Or when we're in a discouraging situation when we're overwhelmed, when we're facing serious health concerns, even there, even there, God's hand will lead us and take hold of us. Even there. Verses 13 to 18. Say this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. 
Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Psalmist is reflecting on how our all-powerful God can know us so personally. He knows us personally because he made us. He made us. Just like an architect would know every square inch of a building he designed because he built it and knows why he built it, what the purpose is, God knows us because he made us and he knows what he made us for. Now, no one in this world is an accident. And I know that sometimes circumstances that lead to someone coming into the world are tragic and difficult, but no one is an accident. We are all formed by God. We are all loved and known by him, and we all have a purpose. The psalmist says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. We are made with purpose and unique gifts. We talked a lot about this in the spring. God calls us and invites us into his church to be part of his body, to bring with us and use our unique gifts to serve and impact our community inside and outside of these walls. And God's not looking for a church full of Carolyns to do this either. Now, there are five of us here, <laughs> which is pretty quite something. We have a club, <laughs> the Carolyn Club. But God doesn't want a church full of this Carolyn because I'm not you, and I can't do what you do. I can't set up all these chairs or fix a squeaky stage. <laughs> it's perfect today. Perfect. I can't fix water pumps. <laughs> I can't sing like our worship leaders. Each one of us are skillfully created with love and purpose. And church is where we get to live that out together. We've said it so many times. You have a role and a purpose and a place here. And when you're not here, you're missed. You're missed. You and your gifts and your talents and your skills are missed. Now, the Hebrew translation of this line, being fearfully and wonderfully made, the original Hebrew translation gives us a more awestruck perspective of what this means. Because there's no and written between the two terms, nor is there the verb made at the end. And so it would translate as, for I am fearfully wonderful. For I am fearfully wonderful. Why don't you say that with me? I am 
fearfully wonderful. Love that. This original translation gives us that sense of awe and wonder. Do you hear it? I'm fearfully wonderful. Human creation is mysterious and wonderful and miraculous, and only God knows all the intricate details of it. Now, as we approach the end of this psalm, we read these words. This is verses 19 to 24. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Okay, so this is strong, violent language at the start of this here. Remember the psalmist is talking to God. And we learn honesty before God in the psalms, right? That's one thing we've, we've certainly learned over the course of this study together is honesty. Also, this is reflective of Old Covenant here. And so Old Covenant is our context. We see the psalmist's desire is to see God glorified above absolutely everything else. We see his allegiance to God. It's the idea that bad company corrupts good character. He's saying, you want nothing to do with my God, then I want nothing to do with you because I want to make sure I'm doing everything that I can to be right with God. That's how it was. Love what is good, hate what is evil, and so this is where this harsh language comes from. Now on this side of the cross, because of God sending us Jesus and his death and his resurrection, we live under the new covenant, and we are commanded to love our enemies, love our neighbors, pray for those who persecute us. We don't seek an eye for an eye. And so when we consider the old covenant context here, we can appreciate this is the psalmist showing his obedience and loyalty to God in the way that he knows how. Obedience and loyalty to God are still required for us today. I mean, they're part of a relationship, right? We can't have trust in a relationship if we don't have obedience and, and loyalty. They're critical pieces. We are obedient and loyal to God when we choose to follow Jesus and live like him in our world. Now at the end of this, when the psalmist says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see a, a humble submission here don't we? See humility. See honesty. You see, okay, God, search my heart. You know every thought and intention and motive. God, if any of it displeases you, cleanse me from it and lead me in your ways, the everlasting way, the way to fully knowing you. It's a humble submission. 
With God, we only have two choices. We're either with him or we're against him. We can submit to God, like the psalmist here, or we can resist him. I think the choice is obvious, but the choice is ours to make, and we have to make it. In my role here, it's my absolute honor and privilege and responsibility to encourage you to submit to God and to intentionally spend time in growing your relationship with him. There are many ways to do that, and we have pastoral staff here who are always happy to help you in that journey. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, and we're going to worship. And as they come, I want you to understand understand this. God knows you. He knows you. So let him search you. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Because he knows you. And he knows everything there is to know about you. So let him search you. His intentions are good. He desires to free us from our anxious thoughts. He wants to cleanse us and restore us from our sin and brokenness that weighs so heavy and just continually destroys. He wants to lead us in the everlasting way. The path that leads to life. And it's a thriving, joyful, peaceful path because it is the path spent with him. Amen? Can you testify to that this morning? That the path with Jesus is peaceful and joyful? Yes? Amen. That's beautiful. If that's not your experience, I want to encourage you to submit and give Jesus your heart because he wants that path for you. He wants that path for you. It's the path that points to life, that gives us life, that fills us and equips us. It's the path where we can know our maker, the one who fully knows and loves us. I'm going to invite you to stand. Let's worship together.